different things, but I want to uh, turn your attention, if I could, for a moment, to the book of Psalms, chapter 106, and we'll begin reading in verse number 34. This is kind of a recounting of the history of the nation of Israel, and I want you to notice what it says here in verse 34. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Look at verse 37. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works, and went a-whoring with their own inventions. Therefore, listen to this, therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. I want to be very clear today that one of the reasons that, that I am rejoicing over this decision that was made uh, this past week is because God hates abortion. God hates the shedding of innocent blood. And the shedding of innocent blood is one of the primary reasons that the wrath of God was revealed against people and his, in fact, his own people, the nation of Israel, when they would depart from the word of God so far that they would begin to shed the innocent blood, even sadly, of their own children. Think about that, that they... They, they would sacrifice their sons and their daughters unto devils. I mentioned a few weeks ago that there was a God uh, that was worshipped by the Canaanites, that would be worshipped sadly by the Israelites as well, a God by the name of Molech. And the way that Molech was worshipped was that they would actually offer their own children in sacrifice to that false God. Can you imagine how wicked you would have to be to take your own son or your own daughter and, and literally take their life and sacrifice them on the altar of a false god. How wicked is that? But folks, I just want to say to you that we need to be aware that for the last 50 years in this nation, we have sacrificed our children, not you or me necessarily, but as a nation, we have sacrificed our children, not on the altar of a false god, but on the altar of selfishness. This was, this was wicked in the sight of God thousands of years ago for the nation of Israel, and it is wicked in the sight of God today. God hates it. And because of that, we ought to hate it as well. Go with me to the book of Proverbs, if you would, please. Proverbs chapter number 6. Just get an idea, and I know that these are things that you know and are aware of, but it's important for us, to, for all of us, to consider these things and get a perspective on what is God's mind on this issue. Proverbs chapter number 6. And verse number 16 says this, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look a lying tongue, then listen to this, and hands that shed innocent blood. God calls that an abomination. 
the shedding of innocent blood. We could go through the, the uh, prophets this morning and the, the major prophets as well as the minor prophets and, and find that the Lord decries those who shed the blood of the innocent. And we see that that is something that God has said that this is, this is an abomination. This is one of those things, one of those sins that I am willing to, to pour out my wrath uh, on, on people because of this wickedness. So God hates the shedding of innocent blood. And by the way, just in case that we're not clear on this, the Bible teaches that a life in the womb is a life. Amen. That every single one of those babies that are in the womb, they are a life, that they are a soul, and that to take their life would be to, to literally to commit murder against another human being. Let's go back to the uh, book of Psalms, Psalm 139, if you would. I know we're, we're back and forth a lot in Scripture, but I just want to show you this because it's important in this world that we live in, we are constantly bombarded with lies and false teaching. And, and one of the big statements of this pro-choice movement, which is, let's just call it what it is, it's pro-abortion, it's pro-murder. But one of their big statements that they make is, my body, my choice. Well, here's news to you. It's not your body. The life that is within the womb of a mother is not your body. It's another body. It's another soul that lives within your body. And it's not your choice. Psalm 139, I want to show you what the Lord says and tells us. As the psalmist here, David, is talking about the Lord's creation and working in his life. Look at verse number 13 of Psalm 139. David says to the Lord, Thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me. Where? In my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. What is David saying? You know, when I was a, a little baby in the womb of my mother, still developing, still growing, that God, you knew me, and you loved me, and you protected me, and you cared about every detail of my little body that was still forming. Uh, people want to brush over this and refer to the life that is in a womb and call it a fetus. And let's just be clear that God's perspective is that's a child. And even though their body is not necessarily fully developed and they may not be viable outside of the womb, he has put them in a place where they can be protected, where they can develop and grow, and we've taken what should be the safest place on earth for a little baby, and we have made it a place where that woman has a choice to kill her own child. Imagine that. But David says, when I was there in the womb developing and you were making me, you were still fashioning me, my substance was not hid from thee. I love that statement. Think back. Most of us, I know me personally, we have seven children, and with each one of them, we have the privilege 
multiple times of being able to go into a doctor's office and and, and have an ultrasound where we could look within the womb and see the, the growth and development of that child. But that's a pretty recent technology. For thousands of years, that was somewhat of a mystery. People didn't really know what was going on in there. We're able to see from the time there just a little thing. They, when, when that child is first conceived, it almost looks like a little bean or something in the, in the womb, you know. And then it, it kind of grows and develops. And, you know, it's kind of a funny-looking little creature in there but it's a person it's a baby and even though we just in recent years and in in the last few decades have been able to see what's going on in the womb David says my substance was not hid from thee God God was actively involved in the development of, of little babies all the way back then and still is today and, and it, what I'm saying is that the Bible paints this picture that a life inside the womb is a life that God cares about and is actively working to develop and grow that child. He says that his, his members, his substance, he says that, that, that it was written in the Lord's book. Verse 16, thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written. God was writing down in his book, David, you know, he'll, he'll have two arms and two legs and ten fingers and ten toes and brown eyes and brown hair, whatever it might have been. God was writing his members when as yet there was none of them. In other words, God was concerned about this life even before physically it was fully developed. God said to Jeremiah, he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And ordained thee to be a prophet, he said. God, God already had a purpose for his life in the womb. God cares about life in the womb. And because God cares about life in the womb and God hates the shedding of innocent blood and the sacrifice of children, folks, we need to understand that as a nation, we are every bit as deserving of the wrath of God being poured upon us as Sodom and Gomorrah or any other nation in the history of mankind. As a nation, we have the blood of the innocent on our hands. And God cares about that. And I am thankful that in his mercy, he has provided us as American citizens who love our nation and love our country, but yet grieve and mourn over this tragic atrocity that takes place. I'm glad that he has, in his mercy, granted to us the ability to put an end, at least in certain places, to this wicked practice. And I rejoice over that. I'm thankful that even in the last couple of days, lives have been saved. What a blessing. But I'll tell you that while I am rejoicing, there is something that continues to, to just kind of eat at me in my heart. And that is that changing a law does not change a heart. Changing a law doesn't equal repentance. 
And folks, as a nation, our greatest need is not for laws to change. Our greatest need is to fall on our faces before God and plead for His forgiveness and His mercy. Change in laws, change in circumstance does not equal repentance. I want you to consider with me for a moment. We won't take the time to go back and read all of this, but in the history of the nation of Israel as we read through the lives of the kings and, 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 and how often we would, we would read of someone and it would say that this king did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And then the next king it would say he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And as, the, as history went on, more and more you were seeing fewer and fewer of those who were doing right in the sight of the Lord and, 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 and you were seeing more and more who were doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And there was a downward spiral and pretty soon you get into this period where he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then his son reigned. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And, and pretty soon it, it's starting to look pretty bleak. And all of a sudden then God raises up a young man by the name of Josiah. One of the greatest kings uh, in, in, in the nation of, of Judah, the southern uh, kingdom there. And, 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 and God raised him up and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And, and he went in the way of David his father, that man after God's own heart. And he began to bring about righteousness in the nation. And he ruled according to righteousness. And, and, and things had gotten so bad in, in Judah and in, in, in Israel as a whole uh, over those years with the wicked kings that they didn't even have the word of God anymore. And after years of, of uh, Josiah doing his best to reign in righteousness, they're cleaning out the temple of the Lord. You know what? They found a copy of the book of the law. And they read that book of the law to, to, Josh, uh, to Josiah all those years later. And we see, we see that he rent his clothes. And, and, and he said, you know, we've, we've disobeyed God and we've rebelled against God. And he began to lead a national uh, repentance, at least outwardly so. They began to destroy the idols and the high places and in Israel. They began to put away wicked practices and sinfulness there. They began to restore the adherence to the law and observing of the feasts and all of those things. And Josiah did everything in his power to bring about righteousness again in the land. What a wonderful, wonderful account of God's work and God's mercy in using a young man like Josiah. But you know what happened? As soon as Josiah was dead, the people went right back to what they'd been doing all along. You know why? They had a righteous man in authority who was doing that which was right, but the heart of the people had not changed. And because the heart of the people hadn't changed, there was no real repentance before God, and therefore the nation continued its downward spiral, though the Lord granted mercy for a time. Why? Because what's needed is not just a different form of leadership. It's not just different laws. It's a change of heart. Now, folks, I... I am as susceptible as anyone else to look at our government, to look at our leadership, and see them as the problem. For most of my life, I've been, I, have, I have looked at people that are sitting in Congress, 
or sitting on the Supreme Court or sitting in the White House and, and, or the governor's office, and I've been able to say, boy, if we could just get a different leader, if we could just get people in, in, in those positions of power who would, uh, have, who would honor the word of God and seek to be pleasing to the Lord, then things would change. But it's not true. It's not true. Our problem isn't the person who sits in the White House. And it's not the people who sit in Congress. And our hope for change does not come in November. Our hope for change comes when we as a people recognize our sin before God, humble ourselves before Him, and truly seek His face in repentance. That's when real change happens. Laws can change, but until there are changed hearts, I don't believe that God will be pleased with us. Go with me back, if you would, a little ways to the, the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter number 7. 2 Chronicles, chapter 7. And we find here a very famous verse of Scripture, one that really gets misapplied frequently. Because this particular verse of Scripture, I want you to know, it does not apply, it's, it's not a, a promise to the United States of America. It was a promise to the nation of Israel. But here's the thing that I am thankful for. My God is the same God today as He was for the nation of Israel all those years ago. And He hasn't changed. And while this promise is specifically for Israel, it does give us some insight into the heart of a God who cares about people. Verse number 12 of 2 Chronicles 7 says, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of, of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no, no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. What a promise that was, as God had just warned them and said, hey, if my people go out of the way that I've commanded them, they go after false gods, I'm going to bring judgment upon them, I'm going to bring famine and, and pestilence or disease, I'm going to bring locusts to devour their crop, I'm not going to send rain uh, to, to water their fields, I'm going, my face is going to be against them for judgment. But if when I am judging them, they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then they're going to experience my mercy. I'm going to forgive their sin and I will heal their land. What a promise that was to the nation of Israel. And again, I want to be clear. God is not promising that to us. He's not saying to us, hey, if you do this, I, I am bound by my oath that I have to spare you. This was a specific promise to the nation of Israel. But understand this, what God is saying, if my people have sinned against me, he didn't say what they need to do is get a king who's going to put some laws in place and make sure that the people do that which is right. He said, my people need to humble themselves and get on their faces before me. And in true repentance, 
they'll experience my mercy. Folks, I just want to say what God is looking for today among us, I believe, as a nation, what he's looking for is not just change laws. Praise God for laws that would protect innocent life. Praise God for that. Praise God for those in positions of authority who would see that as a priority and be willing at times even to risk maybe some political backlash for making decisions and doing that which is right. Praise God for that. But that does not equal repentance. It doesn't equal repentance. What does repentance look like? Let's go back a little further. The book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter number 26. Once again here in Leviticus 26, the Lord has... Has, has warned his people, the nation of Israel, that if they disobey him and go after false gods, that there are going to be consequences for that. But notice what he says here in verse number 39. It says, And they that are left of you shall pine away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands, and also in the iniquities of their fathers shall they pine away with them. But then notice this, if they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their trespass, with their trespass, which they trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, what did he say? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, if their uncircumcised hearts shall be humbled, and they then accept the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember, and will remember the land. And he goes on from there. What's he saying? He says, I want my people to confess their sin. I want my people to humble themselves and to recognize and accept that the consequences that are in their life are just and right. And if they will do that, I'll forgive them and I'll restore them. Folks, what America needs today is not just different leadership. It's not just change laws. It's not even just to do the right thing. But it's to humble ourselves before God and admit our wickedness before Him. To confess that to Him and seek His forgiveness. To humble ourselves in that way. This is what needs to happen. Now the question is, what do we do? I know you know these things. What can you do? Go forward just a little ways to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter number 1. Nehemiah is a book that details the rebuilding of the, the city of Jerusalem led by a man by the name of Nehemiah who was living in that Babylonian uh, empire. And uh, as a re again, a result of the carrying away of, of the nation of Israel because of their sin. But he was a, a good man. And he heard of all the things that were going on in the city of Jerusalem, that the wall was broken down and the gates were burned with fire, and, and, and it was just a sad situation. 
in the city of Jerusalem. Verse number 4 of Nehemiah 1, it says, It came to pass when I, that's Nehemiah, heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night. For the children of Israel thy servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. Now, I want to be clear on something. Nehemiah was not the problem. He himself was not the problem. But he saw himself as a child of Israel, as a Jew. He said, I am part of the problem because I am part of the nation. And our nation has a problem with God. Verse 7, we have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the, the commandments nor the statutes nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn to me, unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out under the uttermost part of heaven, Yet I will gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to put my name, set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man for I was the king's cupbearer. Do you see what Nehemiah was doing? Nehemiah himself was not the problem. But Nehemiah realized that as being part of Israel, being a Jew, I am complicit in some way with the wickedness of the nation. And I personally want to repent of the wickedness of my people. And I want to be right with God and plead with Him for mercy on behalf of my nation. Amen. Now folks, when we talk about this issue, and we could talk about many others, June is Pride Month. Never in my life have I been so bombarded. Everywhere you turn, you are confronted with this moral debauchery in our nation that says it doesn't matter what God says or what God thinks about my gender or sexuality or marriage. It doesn't matter what God says. I'm going to be who I want to be and I'm going to be proud about it and if you don't celebrate with me, you're a problem. You're the problem. Boy, is it in your face constantly. Folks, I'm just telling you that's abomination to God. Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is revealed against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. And folks, we, we are headed down a sinful path. Between that, this issue of the murder of the innocent unborn, and so many other things that we could talk about, 
the selfishness and wickedness and greed in our nation. So many things that we could talk about. Blasphemy. Absolute blasphemy against the Lord in the name of humor and comedy. It's wicked. And folks, as we look at that, you may not be involved in that, and I may not be involved in that, but in a sense, we are complicit. How are we complicit? Well, we're part of that nation. And if we were honest, we don't take those things as seriously as we ought to. I know that in myself, I have grown cold to these issues much more than God is. I mean, God looks at these things and sees them much more seriously than I do. And I would think I'm probably not alone in that. We've become so used to these things and accustomed to these things that we know they're a problem and we'll even say that they're a problem, but how much time do we really spend on our knees before God pleading with Him for true repentance among our people? How much time do we spend actually trying to make a difference and, 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 and speak up for the truth and our failure and our apathy has caused us to be complicit in the wickedness that's going on all around us because we have become comfortable here. And so often I have felt like Lot living in Sodom, who though I am a righteous man dwelling among them and seeing their deeds from day to day have vexed my righteous soul and my own conscience has become somewhat seared against the wickedness and, and, and ungodliness and I'm not broken as I ought to be, and I'm not as sorrowful as God would have me to be over this kind of debauchery that takes place all around us. And folks, I'm just here to say that if we want to see real change, something has to change in us. Nehemiah said, My fathers have sinned. My nation has sinned. But he said, I and my father's house have sinned. I can't repent on behalf of my nation. I can't... This, this concept of, you know, an earthly priest that can be a mediator. Listen, men can't forgive sin. I can't make someone else right with God. I can't make an individual right with God. There's no way I can make a nation right with God. But you know what I can do? I can get my heart right with Him. I can plead with Him to get a hold of the hearts of the people all around me. Folks, I, I love my nation. I love America. In, in a week, a week from tomorrow, we celebrate our Independence Day. I'm so thankful. Every time I hear our national anthem, I get a little bit teary-eyed. I'm thankful for the price that was paid for our freedom. I'm thankful for so many things that God has done and allowed us to do. But I just want you to know, if God were today to pour out His wrath upon our nation, I would have to stand back and say, Lord, you're right. I don't want to see it. I'm heartbroken over it. 
but we are every bit deserving of it. Go with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Here's a New Testament perspective. First Peter four verse number eleven. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and glory or and dominion forever and ever. Beloved, think it not strange concerning, concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. You know what he's saying? We could sum it up by saying this. Do right. Speak up. And stand for truth. And don't fear the consequences that come as a result. There have been many times that I have failed to speak up and stand up out of fear. Fear of judgment, fear of what others are going to say or think. I don't want to suffer as a Christian. So I keep my mouth shut sometimes and don't speak as the oracles of God. Thus saith the Lord. The prophets of old, do you know why they were so hated? Because they spoke the truth. And it's not a popular thing to speak truth in a world that loves darkness. So then look at verse 17 here. It says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it must begin at, first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? You know, it's easy to look at the world and say, boy, look at, look at that wicked person. Look at those wicked people and the things that they're doing. And, and there is a judgment coming for them. But God says judgment begins here. Here. I wish I could repent on behalf of the United States of America and change the hearts of the people. I can't. I can pray for them. I can pray for God's mercy. But I know that a judgment day is coming. But folks, here's what we can do. We, 
as the house of God right here in this place can get on our faces before Him and plead with Him for mercy and forgiveness and confess to Him whatever part that we have played. Amen. Whether it's our, our apathy, our lack of faithfulness, however we have contributed. Listen, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it says, For the transgression of a land, many are the princes thereof, but by a man of understanding and knowledge, the state thereof shall be prolonged. Amen. God told Ezekiel, he said, I sought for a man among them that would stand in the, in the gap, that would, that, would, that would make up the hedge before me for the land. He said, I found none. Sadly, I, I don't believe that the biggest problem in our nation is all the wickedness that goes on, but it's the lack of those who are willing to stand up for what is right and true. And that's on us. That's on us. And so, folks, while I am thankful for a victory in one area, and I'm rejoicing and praising the Lord for it, please don't get me wrong, I'm so concerned. I'm so concerned that we are going to turn our hearts and our minds to this idea of changing the political landscape rather than understanding that what this world needs is not different political leaders. They need Christ. We need to keep our focus on that. I want to encourage all of us <clears throat> To remember that our, our only hope for change is to seek the Lord and to plead with Him and then to pursue lost souls all around us and proclaim to them the truth of the gospel. Because if we really wanted to see change, it would happen one heart at a time. But it has to start here. It has to start with us. In the Sunday school hour, we talked about mourning over sin, grieving over sin. Can we honestly say that we're broken over sin? Does it really move us in the way that it ought to? I just want to encourage us to be serious before God today and confess to Him the wickedness of our nation that we love and the fact that in some way or another you and I have been complicit and that we want to make that right and we want Him to make things right. Let's pray.